Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the provinces continue ramping up their vaccine plans. The portal will be live on Monday, March the 15th at 8 a.m. And we'll be accepting appointment bookings at mass immunization clinics across the province. The Kielberger brothers return to speak before the House of Commons Ethics Committee. When you ask for witnesses to come back and they say, yeah, we're not coming, I think that's where the line gets drawn for a lot of parliamentarians. It's one thing to think the story's done and there's nothing left to say, but it's one thing when you ask witnesses to come and they refuse, they, they ignore the will of Parliament. And what to watch for at the upcoming Liberal and Conservative policy conventions. I do think you will see coming out of the largest political convention in Canadian history, a Conservative Party united, a Conservative Party ready to lead, and a Conservative Party relentlessly focused at creating jobs in all sectors and all regions of the country. It's Monday, March the 15th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Hi, Mark. Good morning. So it is the Ides of March. It's March 15th, the middle of the month. Uh, This is the point at which we were told there would be this huge influx of vaccines coming into the country and and the rollout would be happening from coast to coast, people getting vaccinated. I know that in some jurisdictions the the phone calls are being made and the bookings are happening. Um, How much do you expect things to change in the days ahead? Well, I think that's, you know, that's the big, and, you know, I've touched on it before, Mark, a number of times that, you know, we keep talking about how we're at this sort of critical intersection of, uh, you know, vaccination rates and infection rates. And, you know, that's sort of a moving target on both. They keep sort of adjusting uh, to the plus side on vaccines. You know, we've had word in the last few days that, you know, the the level of Pfizer vaccines are going to take a big jump in, in the next six weeks. More and more vaccines pouring into the country. The provinces are now rolling out, you know, more ambitious vaccination plans and, uh, you know, getting people vaccinated, taking appointments and, and making sure that process ramps up. But, you know, there's still those worrisome things to watch for. It's not all, uh, you know, optimism. The optimism is it's pretty hard to check, but... Uh, there's still these, you know, sobering, you know, sort of numbers that jump up and sort of catch us uh, just when it seems like things are going really well. I mean, we're seeing the infection rate spiking in Ontario. Uh, big concerns being expressed by the, you know, Canada's chief medical health officer about the the spread of these variants. So you get this feeling that, you know, there's this real, and, and it's the right feeling, and it's it's the right thing that needs to happen, according to all the experts. We're really trying to ramp up and accelerate the vaccination process so that, we don't, uh, you know, get doesn't get overtaken by the spread of these variants. That's the big worry for people right now: is how fastly can, or sorry, how fast can we, uh, can we get these vaccine vaccines into people's arms as we try to also uh, deal with the spread of these variants and increasing infection rates in some jurisdictions. Yeah. And what about the political consequences of all of this? Because, of course, for a long time, Canada has been behind other countries like the United States and the United Kingdom in vaccination rates. Uh, if we do catch up in in the next few weeks and months or get closer to it, if we exceed some of the timetables that the government had previously set, does that change the narrative around this? Yeah, I think so. Um, and don't forget, it's going to come in the con. Like it's, I'm starting to no longer look at uh, you know the pronouncements from the prime minister as as sort of COVID nineteen only 
uh, events. He's visiting a vaccination clinic in in uh, Quebec today, and he's going to be uh, speaking with reporters and talking to the Quebec Premier. So he's out a bit. But if you'll notice, Mark, in, in the briefings the last little while, we're getting to that sort of congruence here between uh, pushing back COVID-19 and being able to manage it and what happens next. And that's in the context of the upcoming budget and, you know, uh, piles more spending from the government coming. But the, the Prime Minister now, in the early days of briefings, you'll recall all he did was talk about uh, the briefings and supports for Canadians. Now he's talking in these briefings almost every single time he talks about where we are with the vaccines and where we are with government programs. But he also spends a lot of time talking about government invest, investments into the recovery elements, infrastructure projects and transit. So it's not all about COVID anymore. He's pivoting uh, the country now to the conversation about what happens next and, you know, you know, laying the narrative for his government is the only government that can rebuild the economy, get us through the pandemic safely, and then take us to the, the next level, which is all about bringing back the economy, bringing back jobs and uh, making Canadians more financially secure. All right, let's turn to the House of Commons Ethics Committee, which is going to hear from the Kielberger brothers, the co-founders of the We Charity, again today. And maybe their lawyer, too. Yes, <laughs> maybe more of their lawyer than them. Who knows? Um, yeah, let, uh, let's talk about the dynamics around this, because we. Uh, this is a story that is continuing, although it has not been a, a primary focus over recent months. Uh, I think a lot of people feel the political aspects of this have been addressed, um, and there are questions that remain about the charity itself and some of its operations. Uh, but uh, but some people are asking, well, why is that the business of, of a parliamentary committee? Uh, but it was a unanimous decision by the Ethics Committee. Liberals and opposition MPs uh, made the decision to ask them and, and, frankly, pressure them to come back. It's kind of interesting. I think... Uh you know, there comes a point where even partisanship uh, gives into uh, the sanctity of Parliament. And by that, I mean, you know, I think Liberals on the committee have, uh, have largely had enough of the investigation. Uh, they're, they're satisfied. They think Canadians should be satisfied with the explanation that it was a well-meaning program that, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, was the wrong approach. Uh, the, the Prime Minister's apologized, so is the former Finance Minister. Gee, we should have seen the conflict of interest elements of this because the Trudeau family was so, as was Bill Morneau's family, so closely tied to the to the We Charity. Uh, you know, bad idea gone wrong is what they want uh, Canadians to believe, and they think that that's been, uh, that narrative has been established. By the same token, when you uh, still have questions as parliamentarians, and especially in a minority government, and MPs want to hear from the Kielbergers, uh, again, uh, they've testified before, but they want to hear from the Kielbergers again. And then the Kielbergers' initial position is, yeah, no, uh, thanks for the offer. We're not coming because it's partisan. And then they're now compelled to testify by way of summons. I think for a lot of people uh, that place the importance of Parliament um, at the forefront when you ask for witnesses to come back and they say, yeah, we're not coming. I think that's where the line gets drawn for a lot of parliamentarians. It's one thing to think the story's done and there's nothing left to say, but it's one thing when you ask witnesses to come and they refuse. They, they ignore the will of Parliament right. and of a parliamentary committee. And I think that's why you saw this was a unanimous, uh, you know, unanimously voted motion to say, get them back here. And what I'm going to be watching for is it's been really interesting to 
to watch the dynamics over the last week with the lawyers saying, look, we're, you know, they're not crazy, but coming back and I need to be there to protect them because they may say stuff that could uh, cause them damage, uh, you know, in a police investigation. If, you know, the RCMP has been asked to investigate, but won't confirm whether they are or not. There's a couple of ethics investigations going on. but I think it's going to be interesting to see what it is they're prepared to answer tomorrow and what it is they're not prepared to answer and see what the dynamics are in the committee. I think it's going to be a fairly testy uh, committee hearing. And I think the thing to watch for is, okay, what's left unsaid after that committee? And what are the, the, the questions that still need to be answered? And are parliamentarians going to push to take it to another level, different witnesses, uh, if they hear some kind of information in that testimony that tells them, wait a minute, there's more to the story. Yeah. All right, we'll see. Um, Could be interesting, um, or maybe not a lot will come of this. We'll see. Um, Let's turn to a a couple of upcoming events. Each uh, of the Liberals and the Conservatives have policy conventions in the weeks ahead, and uh, there are a couple of different storylines playing out around this for the Conservatives, of course. There have been lots of things written about their leader, Aaron O'Toole, recently and about uh, factions of the party that have raised concerns about the direction he's taking the party under his leadership. For the Liberals, there there's debate and discussion potentially around the idea of a universal basic income, So, uh, which, which seems like the, the kind of policy that some people want to see, but the government might not be ready to implement. So what do you expect from these conventions coming up? Yeah, two things to watch for. I mean, the, the Conservative Convention starts Thursday this week. Uh, the big test will be for Aaron O'Toole on the Friday night, although it's going to be really hard to gauge the big test because he's going to be making a speech to some 5,500 registered delegates virtually. Uh, so it's going to be hard to, you know, you don't, it's not the same as when that speech is delivered in a room. So he's got, he's had some challenges, obviously, in the last uh, number of weeks and months with uh, support in the caucus. He's dealing with, uh, you know, the social uh, conservative wing of the party, which is still going to try and push uh, to reopen a conversation about uh, the party policy, the party position on abortion, because they failed on the policy front to get, uh, you know, the necessary support to bring that uh, to the convention discussion. So now they're going to, they're still going to try and push a vote to change the party constitution, uh, to change the language in the constitution that, uh, that would leave open, uh, that would make the party pro-life and I suppose then leave open, uh, the chance for social conservatives in the party to reintroduce the conversation around abortion laws. So that's the challenge for Aaron O'Toole is, you know, he's, he's got to make this speech Friday night. He's got to commit to this convention showing that he is the leader of the party and that the party falls in behind him so uh that may be a tough challenge for him but we'll know in the in the days after you know what whether he's moved uh moved the meter and moved the needle with conservatives to 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 make a you know great speech and uh have a convention where they clearly are united behind a leader uh heading into a possible spring election that's his challenge challenge for the prime minister i think is going to be to uh, and that that convention's uh, April eighth, I think. So the challenge for the, the the prime minister, who's already on the record saying he doesn't favor uh, a guaranteed basic income, well, he's now got the party pushing hard, uh, the grassroots of the party saying we think you need to go there. And if the argument is uh, that it's not affordable, the parliamentary budget officer Mark said it would be cost forty four billion dollars to introduce a guaranteed basic income, even after you remove all the other social safety net programs that provide financial help for right. Canadians. $44 billion a year. And so, you know, that's a big, big ticket item. But this is a government that's already served notice that in its upcoming budget, it's got a plan to roll out $100 billion in new spending. 
So, uh, and they've done that during the pandemic. Uh, money seems to be no object. And so a lot of liberals are going to be saying, look, this is the time, uh, it, you know, just as we did for Canadians in the pandemic, this is the time to, to be the party that says Canada's ready for a basic income. We essentially did that in the pandemic by making sure everybody had money uh, during the crisis. And why is that any different after the crisis passes? Why don't we uh, commit to providing every Canadian with a basic income from now on? So I think that's going to be a very interesting debate within the Liberal Party. Yeah, lots of interesting stuff ahead. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mark. Uh, Take care. We'll talk again. At CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. I certainly don't want to see any cuts. I want to make sure the government continues to support people who need it, who have been suffering through this. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Jamie Watt argues the long-overdue federal budget is an opportunity to launch an election and define the campaign on Justin Trudeau's terms. Watt writes, It is a tale as old as the Greek mythology it calls to mind. In this version, the Prime Minister is Odysseus, conquering the demons of the world while his kingdom awaits a chance to hear his post-war plans. And it is working. A recent Nanos poll shows that more Canadians trust the Liberals with the country's finances than any other party. And so, watch for the Prime Minister to use the budget and all the promise inherent in it as the kickoff to a spring election. In the Hamilton Spectator, Jeffrey Atkinson asks if we have the will to save the planet. Atkinson writes, While the threat to our planet continues to gain speed, Dawdling world leaders are mired in groupthink, afraid of worry about re-election and fear the systemic change necessary to wean us off fossil fuels, account for the true cost of ecosystem destruction, and pursue solutions that are not hamstrung by national borders. We must raise our courage for radical system-shaking change. There is no choice. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues we need to give kids a normal summer. The Sun writes, Last summer was largely a bust for kids in Canada, but we now know a lot more about COVID-19 than we did then. Schools have been safe, and there has been hardly any in-class transmission occurring. This is all good news that should be celebrated. It's important people speak out now and set their own terms for what they expect of officials this summer. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will visit a vaccination clinic at the Palais des Congrès in Montreal, before meeting with the Premier of Quebec. He will then take part in a news conference to speak about the COVID-19 situation, along with Quebec's Premier and Innovation Minister, François-Philippe Champagne. Later in the day, the Prime Minister will chair the Cabinet meeting. Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will announce funding to Glen Allerdale Heritage Trust. Health Minister Patty Haidu will attend a virtual infrastructure event. Public Safety Minister Bill Blair and Minister for Women, Mariam Monsef, will make a funding announcement to raise awareness of efforts to combat sex trafficking in Peterborough, Ontario, and surrounding communities. Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will announce support for the Canadian Agriculture Safety Association, and National Revenue Minister Diane Le Boutelier and Government House Leader Pablo Rodriguez will announce financial support to boost the growth of the Pit Caribou microbrewery in the Gaspésie region of Quebec. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, March the 15th. 
Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.